Welcome back to Lethal. Let's talk about death row inmates. This week, I'll be covering a Florida death row inmate. This week, I'll be covering a Florida death row inmate. I will be covering Lucius Boyd. He was convicted for murdering Donia da Costa. He is also a suspected serial killer. Before we jump into the case, let me share something fun. I will be releasing a new episode every month covering the new letters I receive from death row inmates and what I write back to them. This will be an extra episode that I go in full detail about all the letters. I want you all to be able to follow all the letters I receive and who I'm talking to easily. You can also hear updates on my lethal Instagram at lethal underscore podcast. So I will be releasing my first episode this Thursday. So make sure to tune in. Before we get into it, let's go over some facts about Florida death row. I covered a couple Florida death row inmates already, so I'll just go over some of the general facts again. So if some of it sounds familiar, that is why. So Florida allows lethal injection and allows electrocution as a method of execution. The executioner is paid $150 per execution and the person is able to stay anonymous. These executions take place in Rayford, Florida at the Florida State Prison. There are two cells for death row inmates. The daily cell is a 6 by 9 by 9.5 foot high cell. There is a death watch cell that the inmate will use awaiting execution. This is a 12 by 7 by 8.5 foot high cell. Death row inmates are served three meals per day in Florida. They are served at 5 o'clock in the morning for breakfast. They are served at 10.30 to 11 o'clock for their lunchtime, and from 4 to 4.30, they are served for dinner. Death row inmates in Florida are allowed a final meal request, but the food can't go over $40 and has to be local. In Florida, inmates are allowed visitation, but the visitors have to be approved ahead of time. Inmates are given certain visiting days and times. Inmates are able to shower every other day in the prison, and death row inmates are counted at least once an hour. The inmates are required to wear handcuffs when they are moved throughout the prison. The only time they don't have to wear them is in their cell, if they're exercising, or if they have a social or legal visitation. Death row inmates wear orange t-shirts and blue pants. They wear orange t-shirts to stand out to show their death row. All other inmates wear blue shirts and blue pants. All right, now that we've covered the basics about Florida death row, let's get into the case. So once again, I have a glass of wine and I'm ready to jump into the case. This week, I'll be covering inmate number 699893. Lucius Boyd. He's currently serving at the Union Correctional Institution, formerly known as the Florida State Prison in Rayford, Florida. Lucius was born March 22, 1959, so he is currently 61 years old. Lucius has been married twice and has at least eight children. He has been sued by four different women for not paying child support, so if you can't afford the kids, you probably shouldn't have any. So this story starts with his second wife, Julie McCormick. While they were married, he was an abusive husband. In 1990, Lucius choked Julie to the point that she lost consciousness. 
He did this because she told him she was going to leave him because he had multiple affairs with other women. He was originally charged with a felony charge of aggravated battery. Aggravated battery means an unlawful or an unwanting physical contact from someone. His charges were dropped to a misdemeanor, so he only had probation. Two years later, in 1992, Lucius was accused of raping an 18-year-old girl. He had taken this girl on a date on her birthday and raped her. Charges were not filed because the victim decided not to prosecute. A year later, on October 18, 1993, Lucius stabbed Roderick Bullard to death with a kitchen knife. Apparently, Lucius and Roderick were arguing in the street over a car. I don't know the full details about what happened, but Lucius lost his temper and proceeded to stab Roderick to death. Roderick was one of Lucius's girlfriend's brothers. So Lucius told police that Roderick hit him, so this is why he attacked him. Lucius later admitted that Roderick never threatened him, and he didn't even have any weapons on him at the time. During the trial, Lucius' attorney argued that Roderick had cocaine in his system at the time, and Lucius attacked him as self-defense. The jury acquitted him of the killing. Donia Hope DaCosta was a 21-year-old female that had her whole life ahead of her. She was studying to become a pediatric nurse practitioner. She worked for American Express as a customer service representative. On October 4, 1998, Donia left work around 10 o'clock at night and proceeded to drive to her church so she could attend a midnight church service. Okay, you already know what's coming. Let's stop here. So, I know you know this, but let's get into it real quick. Don't ever go anywhere by yourself at night, especially this late. Just because it's church doesn't mean it's safe. Crime can happen literally anywhere. We go over these stories each week, and they happen everywhere. They happen at school. They happen at freaking Sam's or Costco. They happen at some, pl at some of these people's houses. So always be on your guard, and let's stay safe. Okay, let's get back into the story. When Donia left around 1 in the morning, on her way home, her car ran out of gas on the interstate highway. Contemplating what she should do, she decided to walk to a nearby gas station. The gas station was about a block away, so not too far. She filled her red gas can up with a gallon of gas and asked Lisa Bell and Johnny Harris, people she met in the gas station, if she could get a ride back to her car. Lisa went on to tell her, that they walked to the gas station so they were not able to give her a ride so she asked strangers so they then saw Donia speaking to another man in the parking lot assuming that she was asking this man to give her a ride they saw Donia get in the van with this man and this would be the last time anyone would see her again the two witnesses at the gas station Lisa and Johnny saw her get into a van with the word hope printed on the side. The witnesses were also able to get a good look at the guy, which they will later be able to pick him out of a photo lineup. I'm going to give y'all a trigger warning. The story gets graphic and is very gruesome. After Donia got in the van, Lucius hit her in the head and drove her back to his apartment. At the apartment, he hit her at least a dozen more times with an object, and he hit her so hard and so many times that it cracked open her skull. She then was stabbed 36 times with a screwdriver. That night, he beat her, raped her, stripped her down naked, and murdered her. When Donia didn't come back home, her parents were worried. They found her car on the interstate and notified police. They started to distribute flyers with her picture on it. 
The two witnesses, Lisa and Johnny, recognized Donia on the flyer, so they came forward with the information they had of the night they saw her. Donia was later found on December 7th. She was found behind a warehouse in an alley. Her body was wrapped in a shower curtain with two bed sheets, a brown and a yellow sheet. We will later find out that was missing in Lucius's apartment. A purple duffel bag and a trash bag was used to cover her head. When her body was examined, it was concluded that she had 36 wounds to her chest from a screwdriver, four wounds to the side of her head, and 12 wounds to her right hand and a bite mark on her body. There was bruising to her vagina that indicated there was intercourse performed. There was also evidence that indicated she suffered blunt force trauma caused by the faceplate from a reciprocating saw. Since a witness came forward and was able to give a description of a van that Donia got into, this was the first lead police looked into. The van was spotted on January 30th, 1999 in front of Christian Day Care Center in Lauder Hill. The van belonged to Reverend Frank. He was interviewed and he let police know who all had access to the van. Frank told police Lucius was driving the van on December 4th. Frank also told police what was all in the van. He said the van contained tools owned by the church, which included a screwdriver and a reciprocating saw and a purple duffel bag. When Lucius returned the van to the church, all those items were missing. Lucius was obviously police's prime suspect. They were able to obtain a sample of his DNA and compare it to the semen that was found on Donia's body. On March 26, 1999, the sample came back as a match. Lucius was then arrested. Police searched his apartment and they were able to recover multiple blood spots around the apartment that matched Donia's. Lucius's girlfriend that lived in the apartment at the time was able to identify the bed sheets that were found around Donia's body because she said those sheets had gone missing. Lucius was convicted for first-degree murder, sexual battery, and armed kidnapping. The jury recommended that Lucius be sentenced to death. Lucius was found guilty for Donia's murder and sentenced to death on June 21, 2002. So, the story doesn't end here. Lucius is suspected of being a serial killer. Police think he is responsible for numerous unsolved murders and rapes of women, so let's get into it. August 13, 1997, 24-year-old Melissa Floyd was found naked off the interstate. She was stabbed numerous times, so what links her to Lucius? Well, Lucius's family owned a funeral home, and he was known to smoke crack around the funeral home. And one of his family members found Melissa Floyd's ID in the funeral home. No physical evidence was ever connected to him, but this is a similar story to Donia's case. June 28, 1998, a 19-year-old Patrice Alston went missing. The last known sighting was her getting into a car with Lucius. Apparently, they were going on a trip together, but he returned without her. He claimed they both made it home safely, but police think otherwise. So, what do you think? Do you think Lucius is a serial killer? And if so, how many unsolved cases do you think are really connected to him? I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review on Apple Podcast. Go follow my Insta, lethal underscore podcast, and feel free to shoot me an email at lethal.tcpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for a new case and a new inmate. I'll be covering a new death row inmate in a new state. 
Also, don't forget to tune in tomorrow. I will be going over a mini episode. So see you then. All the information used in my podcast came from the following sources, dc.state.fl.us, Wikipedia, and caselaw.finelaw.com. All right, y'all, see y'all next week, and don't forget to tune in tomorrow for a mini episode. See y'all then.